0: So, every now and then, and probably more often than I realize, since I don't often pay attention, God puts a word or a phrase on my heart to guide and to confirm. And sometimes God has to do it more than once to get my attention. And, um, so, a couple weeks ago, or a few weeks ago, at our last ministering council meeting, I shared with them uh, what was called a vision paper, a sort of sharing of my heart about what's on my heart where I understood God to be leading me, headed as our own faith community. And after I finished we had a great conversation around it but I remember one comment that was made by uh, one of our members, Lee Holly, And Lee said this and it was a form of encouragement. He says, well this tells me that you have some intentionality. And I thought about that and I thought well yeah, that's right. This is really my intention. This is how I intend to be, how I intend to show up. And so this past week, as I said, I spent a few days with a group called Shalem, and I explained to you what that was all about, the prayer groups and retreats. And one of the key learnings was this, that when you lead a retreat or a prayer group, you do it with intent, for if your intent is to connect with loving God more deeply, then we don't worry so much about getting the methods right. God will honor the intent. So when we gather in prayer, when we gather in centering, our intent is to love God. So anyway, there's that word intent. And then the last couple of days I came across an article by uh, the Quaker Richard Foster who years ago, about 40 years ago, he wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. It's been 40 years and uh, it was very widely read and um, and was a foundation for a lot of other books. Well, last year they had a gathering of ministry leaders and pastors, and he was asked to cast a vision for the next 40 years. Richard Foster is basically in retirement right now and has felt like that he no longer is feeling led to speak or to write, that uh, it's time for the sun to set on his own presence. But he gave this vision, and it ended up in my inbox this past week. And of course it was called "Cast the Vision." So I kept seeing all these words floating around me, vision, um, intentionality. And I reflected on this and asked myself, so what might God be speaking to me through all of this? And part of what I discerned is that I have lived with some intentionality as your pastoral minister. Maybe not as uh, very well as I want to at times. Sometimes I get sidetracked. Sometimes I lose my focus. I am one of those that will be walking along the Silly Road. If I see a shiny thing, I'm gonna look at that shiny thing. So there's a lot of shiny things in my life. It will distract me. But for the most part, I keep coming back to one focus, one direction, and maybe more so than I realized it. And that one intention, and that is this that God created you and I to flourish. And that's that word, flourish. That is God's intention. And it really is, as I have discovered, is my, in, is, is my intention is to help you, to help us, to equip you, to equip us to flourish in the wholeness and totality of God for our lives. And maybe words just don't quite do it, but what I hold in my heart and what I firmly believe at this season in my life is that God has every intention for all of us to flourish in our lives. We were not designed, a word that I'll use a little bit later, to languish. We were designed to flourish and created to flourish. And this has been my word. It's been my intent, and, and um and it's a word that I believe is is it's a word that I believe fits in with what God intends. Now I know it's a word that has been used sometimes in positive psychology, and so we get derailed with that and think it feels kind of um, simplistic. It feels kind of superficial. It feels kind of sort of uh, external gymnastics helping us think more positively. But I believe it's a word that names God's intent for all of creation. And I think this is what it means to be a new creation in Christ as the Apostle Paul puts it, to be a new creation is to live in this grace of a flourishing existence. In his book um, entitled Called, there's an author by the name of Mark Labberton and he writes this, the God made known in Scripture and incarnate in Jesus desires flourishing people in a flourishing world. This is God's intent and commitment. And God created humans to flourish by co-laboring with Him in that endeavor. You and I are to be this tangible evidence of God's intent for and in pursuit of the world today. You and I together, the church. And this is our calling as followers of Jesus. We are meant to be this primary evidence of the flourishing love, grace, and truth in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And so this flourishing life and this intent isn't about becoming more spiritual. And here's the thing that I find just powerful for me and I don't know for others but it's what I am sort of processing right now. It's not about us becoming more spiritual, it's about us becoming more human. In many ways when we were created when we came into this world we were already living a spiritual journey. It all depends on what kind of spiritual journey you choose to live and who you choose to model, and who you choose to follow. But part of living this this spiritual journey is to help us become more human. It's allowing our humanity to be infused with the spirituality of Jesus in such a way that the way Jesus lived ends up being our way we live, but through our gifts, our talents, our personalities, and the places we inhabit such as work, homes, families, friendships, marriages, our community, and the various callings we may live out in the very places that we are. If our intent is to live a flourishing life through the grace and goodness of God, then what we choose to do is actually secondary. God will use whatever we offer as we co-labor with God to live a flourishing life. God will use whatever we offer. I sometimes fear that people still feel like that the only people that can live flourishing, meaningful, serving ministry lives are the people that went to seminary trained for it or the people that wear collars, or the people that have titles named clergy or pastoral ministers. And that is so far from the truth. There are people that live it sometimes so much better than I do. There are sometimes people who live it so much more faithful than I do. But be that as it may, God intends for all of us to live this flourishing existence where we bring this presence to the world regardless of whether you are a pastor or not a pastor. I am just simply filling a function and a role and an office. But I am at, I am at the disposal of the same God that you are to allow my life to be filled with God's gifts and presence and love. A few years ago I was at a, a clergy renewal retreat and I was listening to a Quaker from Davidson, North Carolina and he was talking about where he had started a centering prayer group in the law firm in which he worked. He was, had since been retired. And so I listened with deep intrigue about this, this law firm which sort of had people coming and going and hustle and bustle and cases and, 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 and clients and just this sort of kind of stressful, distressful environment. And, and he said that, um, that it worked so well that, that they had people showing up at lunch and they had to move to a new room to have this centering prayer group of silence. And so after his talk, it was a Q&A, and my question was, and I don't know why I always ask these questions, but my questions after people's talks are always around the subject of well, what difference did it make? I don't know why I always ask that, but that's my question. So I asked that question. I said, so tell me, Don, what tangible evidence and difference did it make in the culture of the company and the law firm and the people's lives? And he thought for a moment, and I thought, all right, here it comes. This is going to be the most profound answer I've ever heard. And I was serious about that. And he thought, and he thought, and he looked at me. He says, you know what? I think it just made us more human and i was blown away it just made us more human and what i realized that this is the ultimate paradox that we need to set out on a spiritual journey in order to recover our humanity and become more human so that our world can become more humane. We are simply all spiritual travelers seeking to become more humane per- people, sometimes in a very inhumane world. And it is the ones that are authentic on their journey that flourish and help our world become a more humane place to exist and a place that flourishes. Sometimes when we talk about becoming more spiritual, I think sometimes we have that narrow bandwidth of what happens here. Maybe for a couple hours, maybe in a couple meetings maybe at a couple events. And don't get me wrong, folks, those are so valuable and important. I love barbecue. I, well, If I could still eat chicken pies, I love chicken pies. And all that we do, but it is beyond the bounds of this. It is where you live and breathe and have your being, as Acts tells us, in God we live and move and have our being. And wherever you find yourself, that is the place where we are making the world more humane. And that is where God invites us to flourish. The scripture text I chose today, I'd chosen for a talk actually a few years ago, I was given one in Wichita, Kansas. I was attending the Friends United meeting uh, triennial conference at Friends University and there was a retreat called Stoking the Fire. Just before the conference I was scheduled to give the final talk at that retreat. Um, Now I don't know why this always happens to me, but that talk never happened because in the open worship there was so much sharing that after about an hour I looked at my clock, I thought okay I could roll the dice here, I could either give us talk, make us late for lunch, or I could say this has been a great retreat, thank you God for being present in this quiet time. That's the part I chose. They'll always invite you back by the way if that's the the option you choose. But this passage has stayed with me ever since. Since that time because of its vision and its intent. And how it speaks of God's vision and intent for humanity and creation. It talks of God's healing love of God's nourishing and sustaining presence, of God's commitment to us. And in the middle of all of what was read is this description that God's people will become, they will become and they will flourish like a garden. And here's my thinking. It could be You heard me say this a couple weekends ago. It could be that God's intent through the course of history is to restore creation back to the way it was as we read about it in the Garden of Eden in Genesis. That God's intent is to have a world once again that flourishes in mutuality. That flourishes in goodness and harmony and delight, connection and looking after one another. And I think that's why we are often restless. Why we are often homesick in our soul for that kind of world. That's why we long for such things as beauty and healthy relationships and authenticity and mutuality and and an environment that is healthy. I don't know how many times, and I've done it too, and you've done it too, how many times i see pictures of a sunset. I'll see pictures of, of a sunrise and someone will post and say, wow, there is a God. I don't think they're being simplistic. I think what they're showing us is that beauty overwhelms us and we literally want to be back in that kind of world. We literally are homesick for that kind of world. We want to share in that kind of world. And because deep in our soul is this place called Eden, it remembers what it once was and it longs to get back there. And maybe, here's another maybe, maybe that's why at the resurrection that Jesus, when the women at the tomb mistook Jesus for a gardener, maybe it wasn't really a mistake. Maybe what the Gospel writer was wanting us to see, that Jesus really is the divine gardener. And that it is in the resurrection that the beginning of this new creation has begun and we are part of this amazing intent to help our world once again flourish, to become like God intended it to be. And if you want to see what God intended the world to be read the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2 a place of delight, a place of mutuality, a place of harmony with one another, with humanity, with, with, with creation all around us. I was tired by the way when I got back from this trip. I know you're thinking, how do you get tired from a retreat? Well I was tired. And coming off a retreat where you've had experiences of learning and sometimes silence I was a little bit irritable. And so it was Saturday evening that we went for a walk. Friday evening we went for a walk. And Lynn and I decided to walk on the new section of the Greenway from Penny Road over to Deep River Road. Now, I don't know if we were supposed to. I think we were. I don't know if it's technically open yet. We walked it anyway. There were other people, so we're all to blame whoever else was walking with us. But I want to tell you, they have done a marvelous job. And I began to reconnect with life and energy. I began to reconnect with whatever nature and creation was offering me. And somehow, some way, everything just began to lift. And you know, friends, I can't tell you how that works. All I can tell you is I think that's what I mean when I say we were designed to live in that way. This is the Garden of Eden recreated to live in connection and enjoy and celebration with all of that, that it nourishes us and we nourish it and we nourish each other's relationships. Genesis one and two, it will explain everything. Now is this invitation to flourish necessary? Am I going to suggest yes based on what I read in Scripture and hear in my heart? Yes, but also based on the challenges we face today. Because the opposite of flourishing is this, it's languish. And to languish is the condition of someone who functions, they're breathing, they're upright, but they've lost a sense of hope and meaning, there's an absence of emotional vitality, there's a weariness of soul, there's an inability to delight in life. If you want to put it very simply there's this kind of inner deadness. And we are, and I'll make this as a bold statement. but I, I can't sweep with a big brush for everything, but this is what I sense. We live in a languishing society right now. We languish in our hopelessness and cynicism at times. We languish in our anger, in our, in our incivility. We languish in our separateness and in our polarization. We languish in our loneliness. We languish sometimes in our purposelessness in our meaninglessness and we languish in our unresolved issues and our unhealthy emotional patterns and sometimes we languish in our fear and our anxiousness and sometimes we languish in our weariness and in our exhaustion. And I think and I feel and I sense that we are in this languishing place and we don't know where to go and what to do and in many ways we are kind of dead on the inside. And we're trying to prop up that deadness with a lot of things that may give us life, but somehow we have lost connection with the life that is life. And I believe that we are homesick to get back to it. We long deeply for it, to live that flourishing existence, to be that flourishing presence in this world. I'm going to read this passage one more time. And then I'm out of this passage just going to give you three simple invitations. I'm not going to comment on them, but just three simple invitations. Hosea 14, verses 4 through 8. I will heal their faithlessness, and I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily. He will cast out his roots like the forest of Lebanon. His branches will spread out. His beauty will be like the olive tree. And his fragrance like that of Lebanon. And they will again live beneath my shadow. They will flourish like a garden. And they will blossom like the vine. Their fragrance will be like the wine of Lebanon and Ephraim. What do idols have to do with me? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like a green cypress tree. Your fruit comes from me. So just based on that passage alone, there are just three simple invitations, and maybe invitations into flourishing. First is this. Receive the healing that comes from allowing God to love you freely. Simply receive that love. I, again, I could boil down my pastoral ministry into a couple things, but one is this, reminding people over and over again how loved they are, how loved you are. Henry Nouwen in his book, You Are the Beloved, had this to say, The voice of despair says I sin over and over again after endless promise to myself and others to do better next time. I find myself back again in that dark place. Forget about trying to change. I've tried for years. It didn't work and it will never work. It's better that I get out of people's way, be forgotten, no longer around, dead. This strangely attractive voice takes all uncertainties away and it puts an end to the struggle. It speaks unambiguously For the darkness and offers a clear cut negative identity. But then this is what he writes. But Jesus came to open my ears to another voice that says this quote I am your God. I've molded you with my own hands, I love what I have made, I love you with a love that has no limits, because I love you as I am loved. Do not run away from me, come back to me, not once, not twice, but always again and again. You're my child. I am your God. The God of mercy, compassion, the God of pardon and love, the God of tenderness and care. Please do not say that I've given up on you, that I cannot stand you anymore, that there is no way back. It is not true. I so much want to be with you. I so much want to be close to close to you. I know all your thoughts. I hear all your words. I see all your actions. And I love you because you're beautiful, made in my image, an expression of the most intimate love. Do not judge yourself, do not condemn yourself, do not reject yourself. Let my love touch the deepest, most hidden corners of your heart and reveal to your own beauty that you have lost sight of, but that will become visible to you again in the light of my mercy. So come, let me wipe your tears. Let my mouth come so close to your ear and say to you, I love you. I love you. I love you. I would invite you to receive that invitation to receive that love. I would invite you to let go of all the idols and attachments that get in the way of receiving and living in the experience of God's free love. This passage talks about idols but I tend to refer to them not only idols but attachments. Things we attach our identity to to bolster our self-image, to bolster our self-identity, to bolster our self-worth. Essentially that's the idols and attachments, that's all they do. I need something to make me feel good about myself. I need something to bolster that. I'd invite you to to let go of those and simply see yourself as one loved by God, that your being is loved by God, that we don't have to become human doings, that we can live as human beings and allow God to simply love who we are. And then finally, I would just simply invite you to cultivate and give thanks for the fruits that God will gift your life with, because God wants us to live a fruitful life To grow in such a way that we exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, forbearance, self-control, resilience, perseverance, gentleness, graciousness, generosity, creativity. These are God's gift to us. And I will say this, that God's gift to you and I to live fruitfully will always be in connection of the places I believe in which we're languishing. They're not random gifts. They're not random fruits. It's always in the places that God discovers we need it the most. In the place that we need it to most in order to live the most flourishing life. So that's my intent. That's the intent I hope to live by. I hope to serve by. That's the framework, the context. Again, if I were to be asked what do you think of when you wake up in the morning besides coffee? What do you think of when you wake up in the morning? I think the second thing I think of is this. How can I live as flourishing a life as possible, and how can I help those that I serve and know and do life with live a flourishing life as well? It's God's intent. It's God's mission, God's purpose for all of us. And I hope with all my heart that you discover it, that you experience it, that you know what it looks like and feels like in your life while you're still alive.